Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. Well, good morning. Welcome to Calvary. Glad to see all of you here in person this morning, as well as those joining us online. It's so, so glad that you are able to worship with us today. And with that being said, didn't the teens do a great job? Give them a hand if you would this morning. Boy, I, I love to see that. I'm very, as Josh said, I'm very proud of them as well. And uh, those, those young people, they love Jesus, and they're learning how to walk this, this journey. Great example for all of us. I'm just so glad that they were able to do that today. And uh, I appreciate Josh and Callie and all the workers over there and all that they do. Uh, so when you see a teenager, you see the, the workers, Josh, Callie, Garrett, Maddie, just tell them thanks and uh, tell them you're proud of them. I, th- I know that they'll appreciate that. But this morning, as we're uh, continuing, our, our actually we're wrapping up a series we started a few weeks ago. We've been talking about these two words, for freedom. And, and the idea of for freedom, the, the verse that we focused on, Galatians chapter 5, verse number 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So here's what we know. Just to wrap what we've been talking about, uh, we, we know that we all desire this freedom. It's something that we want to experience. We know that Jesus said it is available. We can have it. And the reason we know that is because he actually purchased our freedom when he gave his life on the cross. And then when he rose from the grave, it just confirmed that this freedom is real and it's possible and makes it all come to pass. And so that's what we're learning about this freedom. So that being said, today, I want to just attack this this topic a little bit. We're going to talk about freedom's assignment. In fact, turn to two people around you and say, I'm on assignment. Tell them that. I just want you to hear yourselves. I'm on assignment. All right. Here's Here's what I'm experiencing. I feel like this morning I'm on an assignment to help all of us realize, if you would, or remember, recognize the assignment that God has put all of us on. Here's, what is, here's what's fact. Life was not meant for us just to exist or for us to, to gather in some kind of comfortable, comfortable setting. That, that's not where life has ever been headed for any of us. We, we know, if we're honest, Life is not fulfilling through accumulation of things and stuff and even people. We also know life isn't fulfilled in just activity. Even if it's religious activity, it's not those things that bring that fulfillment. We find fulfillment in life when we experience a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, and when we take the assignment and do what God has called us on the assignment through his his son. I, I read this, um, this quote this week that the real tragedy in life is not death. The real tragedy in life is coming to the end and realizing that I've missed my assignment. I haven't fulfilled the assignment that was set for me. See, this life that we experience in Christ, eternal life, abundant life, the freedom that we've been singing about, the freedom that we've been talking about, all of this is real, but it was never meant to be just something that we we hold to ourselves, just something that we experience personally. It was always meant to be shared. It was always meant to be, to be given to others, to, to, to be handed out from what we've experienced to others. In fact, here's a sentence that we talked about last Sunday, and I'll, I'll, you'll see it on the screen. One of the best evidences that we understand the Bible and have met the living Christ is that we want to share that with others. Last week, the last couple weeks, we've talked about the reaction of the resurrection to folks around that experienced it. 
And one of the first things that they did in all those things, the natural response was, we got to tell somebody. We want to share that. We don't keep it to ourselves. There was this, this organic desire, if you would, to take what I have and to share that with somebody else. And, and we, we know what that means. When you've got such good news, you've got to share it. You've got to tell somebody. That maybe you've experienced it, you know, or we're having a baby, right? One person faints, the other person's excited, right? We're ha- that's exciting news. Or as we experienced recently, I'm having another grandbaby. That's good news, right? My youngest is having, it's fantastic. Those are great. And, and the thing is, you're, you, you see that and you know it and you want to share it. And that's the excitement that comes with, with experiencing, truly knowing Jesus and his resurrection is we, we that, uh, that ultimate that initial adrenaline rush is fantastic, but here's what we know. That is always with us, but those will change over time. That the feelings, the emotions have, have a change mechanism, but the point is that idea and that privilege of sharing, that never changes. We hope that we can keep that excitement in, in some form or fashion all of our lives, and we try to, we try to keep that, that love, but what Jesus is going to do and what we're going to look at today is he's going to kind of formalize, help us understand that this sharing is something that needs to be a part of all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to pick up right where we left off last Sunday. We, we did that last week. We're just going to, we're kind of continuing this series literally where we stopped. If you were with us or just to give you a, a summary, last week we talked about two disciples of Jesus who after the resurrection were on this walk from, their, from Jerusalem to their hometown, it's seven miles, and on this walk, they encountered Jesus, but they don't know who he is at first. They talk to him. They have this amazing conversation with him. And, and in the, the, the middle of this, and, and this is what's interesting. I'll just put this plug in. Several of you came to me over the course of the week and said you were having, going to have one of those walks with Jesus. You're going to just, you're just going to sit or you're going to take a, a journey and just talk to the Lord. And if you did, I'm excited for you because I think you're right where those guys are. You're ready to see something that God wants you to see. Because what happened on that journey, and by the time they got done, he opened their eyes to who he was, to the scriptures. And before it was over, they actually saw the risen Christ personally. And once they did that, they couldn't keep it themselves. They had to share it. In fact, we know it was, it was in the evening. It was already dark. It was so sometime in the evening. They took that seven-mile journey back to Jerusalem because they had to tell the other disciples. I, my guess is this was more of a run than a walk on the way back, but another couple of hours, they took a journey back to just tell others what they had seen through Jesus, and that's where we're going to pick up. They come back, gather with the disciples. Luke chapter number 24, verse 35 tells us that then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So we're this group of disciples. We have the 11 apostles that are left. We have others that are in that room, the Bible tells us. So my guess is that would include Mary Magdalene and the other women who we've been talking about. And these two walkers. And they're, they're expressing what they've all... This is the night of the resurrection. They're all expressing what they've heard and what they've seen and how they've talked to Jesus. Then look what happens in verse 36. While they were still talking about this... Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They're behind closed doors, they're talking, and suddenly Jesus is standing right there in the middle of them. He has appeared right there with them. Now, I don't know how that would, how that would fare with you, what you would react, how you would react to that. The Bible says their first response was they were, they were startled, they were afraid. They actually said, oh, it's a ghost, right? That, that was their first response. Um, G, which to that, Jesus responds, why are you still doubting? 
what else do you need? It's basically saying, why did, of all the things, why did you go there? That I'm a, I'm a ghost. Why would you take that? So he said, tell you what, look at my hands. So he showed him his hands, showed him his feet. He showed him the nail scars and showed him that he's real. This is a real body. I'm breathing. There were still some that were doubting. So Luke tells us that then he said, well, tell you what, give me something to eat. So they, they hand him fish and he eats it. I guess he's just telling us that ghosts don't like fish. I, I don't know. But the point is this, I'm real. I'm right here with you. I am the Jesus who you know. And he, and he makes that real to them. And then we come to verse 44. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. In verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He did just what he did with those other two. They had this Bible study. He shares with them how the Old Testament had been pointing to him, and all those things had to come to, and, and he's opening their eyes to who he was. And then verse 46, and this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. So all these things that have happened, this was going to happen. And he said, and because of that, catch what happens next. And repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. What has happened was going to happen. That's what was prophesied. That's what was promised. And now what has happened, my death and resurrection is going to be proclaimed, going to be preached to all nations starting right here. But the question now comes, how is that going to happen, Jesus? Who's going to be the ones giving that message? Where does that all fit into what we're doing? And that this morning is where we come to the assignment. The freedom's assignment. Those who have experienced it, the, the work of Easter that we've talked about, here's where it starts. Verse 48, he said this, you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you from what my father has promised, but you stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on he said, folks, you're witnesses to all this happened. You have had a front row seat to the greatest event in all of history. You saw when I died. You saw them put me in the grave, but now I'm alive. You've seen me risen. You know that I'm alive. You know that I'm real. You've been a part of this. But here's what he's trying to get them. This, all that you've experienced, it's more than just believing. It's now taking it and sharing that truth with somebody else. It's more than just understanding it and believing it. It's also now uh, you're going to have, the whole world needs to know this, and you're going to have a part in seeing that happen. Now, if we go to the book of John, John was there at that night as well, and he gives us his own insights into what happened. John chapter 19, or chapter 20, verse 19, he says on the evening of that first day of the week, so it's the same time period, it's that Sunday that Jesus resurrected, that Sunday night, the disciples were together, the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, and Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Very much like Luke said, Jesus appears before them. But he goes on to tell us, and after he said this, he showed him his hands and his side, proving who he was. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now they're getting it. He is real, and they're overjoyed by this. And notice what he says. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So what you have here is something that's not supposed to stay here. It's something that's going to continue on. What we've read so far, we've got two different records of the same event from two different authors. 
So you're getting just a little perspective from two different people looking at it. But what this gives us is this interesting, this interesting view of what happens on that night that Jesus resurrected. In fact, these words here and some of the others we're going to read today are what many people have called, and we're, we'll talk about it today, the Great Commission. How many have heard that phrase, the Great Commission? Okay. If you've been at Calvary any length of time, I guarantee you've heard that at least once, right? That's a phrase that we use, it's the Great Commission. But what we're going to see today is four different authors of the scriptures, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In the first five books of the New Testament, John and Acts, those first five books, these four authors all record a part of this Great Commission, something that Jesus lives. He repeats it five different times, or we, we are recorded five different times for us to, to understand it. So here's how we're going to look at it today. We're going to talk about the Great Commission five ways, okay? <laughs> that kind of intrigues me. I've it's getting close to lunch, so I'm thinking of steak and shake. Something five ways, you know what I'm saying? Okay, so we're talking, but this is the Great Commission five different ways. What we have is some similar reports with some unique perspectives and some things that we can learn from all five, all five of these different records. Now, what we know, John and Luke, those first ones we read, they, we know that happened on the night of the resurrection. So that's Sunday night. That's recorded clearly. The other three records, we don't know exactly when that happened in the time frame, but we do know this. It happened sometime between the night that he resurrected and the day that he ascended into heaven. So there's a 40-day span of time, and somewhere in this 40 days, Jesus repeats these words of the Great Commission to these guys. Here's how Matthew records it. Verse 18 of Matthew 28, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we have Luke and John and Matthew. Look how Mark puts it. Mark 16, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Then Luke, who's the writer, who's the author of Acts, he, uh, this is not, now not on the night of the resurrection. It's now approximately 40 days later. In fact, the next words are possibly Jesus' last words before he ascended into heaven. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What we have here is a commission from Jesus to his followers. It's an assignment that he's giving them. He repeats it in several ways of how they are to take what they know and share that with the world. David Platt said this about the Great Commission. The most glorious reason you exist is for the proclamation of the glory of God to the ends of the earth. Why are we here as followers? One of the greatest reasons we exist is to proclaim this, to share what we know and what we've experienced with others. Today, we're going to do, we're going to compare those five records of the Great Commission. I want us to see what that early church, what the early believers heard, what they learned, what they knew they were supposed to do. And then how does that apply to us 2,000 years later? What does that mean to us? How is it relevant to us? I mean, those first disciples, they took this seriously. They took it literally, and we'll see how they literally did what they were told to do. How does that relate to us? What does it look like for us if we were to take this particular commission 
that seriously. Let me point out at least four things we're going to talk about today. First is this. The Great Commission involves movement from every disciple. There's this element of of moving, of of changing your position, changing your location. I, I just find it very interesting that one of the first things Jesus said on the night that he resurrects, this great night, one of the first things he says is, now you believe, take this and tell somebody about it. Share this. You got it? Now share it with that. It's one of the first things he says right there. In fact, I remind you, John 20, that night, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. That suggests movement. I am sending you with this assignment, with this commission. Here's what we know. The Bible is very clear that Jesus was aware of the fact that he was here on earth on mission. He was here, and he would say it several times, I am here because the Father sent me here. I am here doing the work the Father has sent me to do. And we talked about all those Old Testament verses we've we been talking about, all leading up to him, all showing what his job was to be, or what his assignment was. So when he's on the cross and some of his last words are, it is finished, what Jesus is saying is, I have completed my assignment. I have done what I came here to do. Jesus came to bring salvation. He was sent on that mission to bring salvation. Now what he's saying is, as the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. I brought salvation. I'm sending you to tell the world how to receive this salvation. Just like he was sent, we're being sent to tell others about who, what his mission was. And then it's, it's very clear in what we read of who it is that's being sent. Luke 20, 24 says this, you are witnesses of these things. Repeats that in Acts. You will be my witnesses. He's very specific. It's, it's you. Now think about who the you is. It, the you was those, those gathered right there in front of him. You have experienced the risen Jesus. You, have, you know who he, who he is. He is changing your life. You know that. But here's the great thing. 2,000 years later, if you've received the gift of Jesus Christ and you know him as Savior... You have experienced the risen Christ. You have experienced the resurrection because he is now changing your life. So when he says that this is for you, you are the witness of the power, you have experienced it, he is talking to all believers in all time that are followers of Jesus, and that includes you. That includes me. All of us are part of this commission. You, who are witnesses that he does change lives, now you are the ones who I'm sending on this mission. The word sent is moving, but that's not the only word that talks about movement in these commissions. Matthew 28, remember that first word? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. A little simple word, right? Two letters, G-O. It's hard not to get... Understand, he means to move. Mark 16, he said, go into all the world and preach and do it to all creation. You can't miss the fact. He's saying, disciples, you've got to move. This is an active thing for you. This is something you have to be involved in. Go to all nations. Go to the world. Go to all creation. The thing is, it's not about waiting for people to come to us. We are actually supposed to be going to them. That word go, it, it implies one, it implies a command, This isn't just for a certain group of Christians that are good at talking. This isn't just for for some believers at some point. This is for all of us. It's a command. It's not optional. This is what we're to do. It also suggests intentionality. The fact that you go on purpose. 
It's not just about, I, you know, if, if it all happens and all the, the stars align and somebody shows up in my presence. and I, It's intentionally saying, I have a message and I am to go with that message and share that message with others. It's this intentionality involved with this. You have something great to share. You have good news, and it's a, it's a thing that we intentionally, on purpose, are going to go to everyone, everywhere, and share it. That's the essence of this great commission. But that word go, as used there, also carries another, uh, another idea. In both Matthew and Luke's record of that word uh, go, or Mark's record of the word go, it's, and I'm not trying to get deep here, but just, just bear with me. The word go is a, is a participle as written in that, in that language, which means it's like the word baptizing or, or teaching. It's an ongoing action. It's something that you are doing. You, you do this to accomplish this. So you could very easily say at the beginning, as you are going, make disciples, preach the gospel. As you are going. Let me explain why that's important because Sometimes, especially if you've been in church a while, and we hear the words Great Commission, and you hear go into all the world, we immediately say that's for the missionaries. They're going to they're gonna pick up their stuff, and they're going to move to another place. That's what it means to go. Yes, I, I will say that. That's exactly what they're doing. They're going to all nations. But we've already established that this, this command, this, this imperative is for all of us as disciples. So how does that apply to us? Because I know quite well that some of you in this room, some of you watching on uh, the, the, the cast today, uh, you're not going to venture too far out of Christian County, okay? I just, I just know that for a fact. You're not, you're not going to go too far location-wise. So is this, does that then exclude you? I'm not going to move out of this. So it does understand what he says is, as you are going, so even if you don't move far from your current location, or maybe you've been in that house all your life and you'll be there until you're not here anymore, it doesn't, what is he saying? He's saying as you're going about life, as you're going to work tomorrow, as you're going to school tomorrow, as you're going to mow your grass tomorrow, as you're going to the grocery store some this, this afternoon, as you're going to Charo's after, after the service today, as you're going about life, go on purpose. Go intentionally Go with the, with the desire and with the plan to do something to point somebody to Jesus. That as you're going about life, make disciples. As you're going, tell them about Jesus. So it's about every moment of our day intentionally reformatting our brains to say, what can I do to help somebody know about Jesus as I'm going about my life? Which leads us to a, another important observation. This is what this is what we're to be moving. We get that. That's movement. We've got to be involved intentionally. But while we're moving, what does this Great Commission mean we're supposed to do? So let me give you the second thought. The Great Commission is message-focused. See, there's a lot of things as Christians that we could be doing. But the Great Commission makes it clear there is one thing that we must be doing. And I'll just remind you what he told us. Mark 16 put it very clearly. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Now, folks, that's a pretty simple verse. I don't think there's any words in there that you don't understand. But sometimes in the simplicity, we miss what God is telling us to do. He says, go, we talked about that, move into all the world and preach the gospel. Preach. There are some you say, ah, oh, that leaves me out, right? I'm not a preacher. 
I don't even, I don't even talk very good. You know, I'm just, that's not for me. Let me just help you understand. The word preach simply means to proclaim. It means to speak out loud, to speak audibly about something that you're sharing. It's just proclaiming it. And all of us can do that in some form or fashion. Here's what you've got to understand. The, the Great Commission doesn't include when we're helping people, when we're caring for them, absolutely. We're feeding them, we're, we're clothing them, all those things, showing love, absolutely. D- does it involve not only the taking care of them, but, but even the idea of making sure that we're living a life that represents Jesus, we're living a godly life? Absolutely, all those things are included. But the Great Commission is very clear from this verse that at some point, to do what God has called you to do on assignment, you're going to have to use your words. He's asking you to speak, to proclaim who Jesus is and what he's done. He's going to ask you to preach it, to proclaim it. And then he says, it makes it clear what we're to proclaim, and that is the gospel. By definition, the gospel, that word means good news. And we're to, at some point, use our mouth to share others the good news. By definition, the gospel, the good news, according to Paul, 1 Corinthians, is the good news is that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. He died, was buried, and he rose again. That's the, that's the simple gospel. That is good news. But it doesn't mean as much to us unless we understand the bad news. The reason the good news is so good is because the bad news is just unthinkable. The bad news is that all of us are sinners. And as sinners, we're all separated from a holy God. And separated from a holy God, we're all under judgment. And there's nothing we can do to change that. It doesn't matter how good a person you may think you are or others say you are. As a sinner, you stand separated from a holy God, and you can't fix that on your own. That's the bad news. And if you die in that condition, you will be judged for eternity. That's the Bible bad news. But the good news is Jesus died for your sins, was buried, and he rose again so that you can be saved. You can have new life. You can have your sins forgiven. In fact, one of the great commission phrases, Luke 24, 47, this message includes repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. This proclamation will be, you are a sinner, but if you repent of your sin and follow Jesus, you can know forgiveness. You can have, no matter what you've done or where you've been, you can know forgiveness through Jesus Christ. That is exceptionally good news. And understand, that is a message of love. That the God of the universe, knowing who we are, still loves us enough. In fact, he tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He sent his son because of his love for you. And the message of hope is that whoever believes in him can have everlasting life. That's hope. That's love. That's God's motivation to share this with you. And that's what he wants for the whole world to know that he loves them enough that he gave them the gospel, good news. I, I would say it this way, and, and this isn't a fill-in, but you can, you can write it down if you want. The Great Commission is message-focused, and it's also love-motivated. It's motivated by the fact that God loves you. And let me share that when he wants us to share it, he wants us to be motivated by love as well, to tell others because of our love and compassion for them. I'll give you an example, Matthew chapter 9 Verse 35, I find this interesting. Jesus was going through all the cities and he's teaching. And notice this phrase, and he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. That sounds familiar. He's doing just what he's going to tell us to do. He's proclaiming, he's speaking the good news of the kingdom. But while he's speaking this, this next verse should catch your attention. Verse 36, and when he saw the crowds, the people that he was speaking to, 
He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He saw his audience and he realized, I've got good news, but when I see this crowd, my heart is broken because how badly they need this good news. He, he was moved to share it because he saw the great need. Christians, sometimes we can get so isolated, so insulated in our Christian stuff and in our business that we miss that the people around us, our neighbors, our friends, anyone who doesn't know Christ, they're, they're lost, they're harassed, they're like sheep going astray, Isaiah says. They, they have no hope without Jesus. My question is, that's how Jesus saw them that way. How do I see Jesus? When I, or how do I see people when I look at them? Sometimes, and you can fill in the blanks, but sometimes we look at people and we go, oh, they must be okay. They're pretty nice people. Understand, it doesn't matter if they don't know Jesus. They're lost. They're helpless. Or maybe some of the people that are in our lives, we go, oh, they're a nuisance. We see them coming and we try to go the other way because they just, that's a, that's a few hours I don't have in my life to give. That's kind of how I see them. Or they're just so bad off. I just want to, I don't even want to go near that kind of problem, right? However we see them, Jesus is giving us the example. If we will see them the way he does, they're harassed, they're helpless. They're not going to know truth unless we who have it share it with them. Man, this was brought so vividly to my mind this morning. I got a text from a friend, a pastor friend, and overnight in his church, he had one young man who had been part of their youth group and had made some bad choices, but it seemed to be coming back around, but in his mid-30s, took his own life through an overdose. And then the other young man, a separate text, who was, he also took his own life. And, and so here's a pastor's reeling, and he's sharing, and, and I'm personally acquainted with one of the men, and, and I'm suddenly now I'm seeing what Jesus saw. Here's some people that maybe if you saw them and every day you think, oh, they got it all together, and yet they're helpless. They're, they, need help. they need Jesus. How often do we just walk by people and forget that God has called us to give them a hope, but we've got to see that they have this particular need. So here's what I, I know that we've, most of us have experienced. Some of you say, I, I, I get it, I, I hear that, but boy, I don't know what to say. How would I even share with them? Where would I start to help anyone know this, this hope and this truth? I'm just not, I, I just don't know where that would go. So this morning I want to do something. I'm going to ask Jaden to come. Uh, the, the youth have been on Sunday nights, been learning recently about this very thing, about how to share their faith, right? And so I'd heard of some of the young people that were kind of doing this and kind of sharing it, and I thought, man, some of our adults could just learn. This would be a great tool for them. So Jaden's going to share with us a very simple way to, for you to be able to explain to someone how they can know the truth of Jesus. So, so watch for the next few minutes.
between each of those good deeds, there's still sin. There's still something that's going to stop you from getting out of there. But there's one thing that does build a bridge, and that was what Jesus gave to us. Jesus gave his life on the cross to act as a bridge to get us over to him. So, so whenever we have Jesus in our life, whenever we admit our sins and we we admit our sins and we accept him into our life, it builds this bridge between us. So we can go from the sin-filled world over to God and his holiness. And we're not going to be stopped in any sort of way because we have Jesus in our life and we're going to be able to live an eternal life with God. Very good. Thank you, David. I hope you understand that's just a simple explanation that each one of you can share. In fact, we gave you a tool when you came in, this little card. It has this, this diagram drawn out for you with scriptures on the back. I'm just encouraging you to share this because the question is, well, you can ask a person, are you here or are you here? Do you know God? Have you crossed the bridge or not? Look at this verse, First Peter chapter number 3. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. See, the message of the salvation is phenomenal. It's the same for all of us. But if you know him, it's personal. It's a hope that you have. So what is his, what is his suggestion? Then be ready. Be prepared. You say, well, I don't know how to speak. Then, then practice. Put it into place because God is going to put you in the path of someone who you can share this with. So give you an idea of how to make that happen. It's, a, it's taking your faith and sharing it because this is a mission-focused assignment. So here's the next thing that we learned. The Great Commission will also have momentum. And we're going to look at this momentum in two different ways. If you notice what we read earlier, Jesus made it clear where this all started. In Luke 24, he said, this message is going to all nations. And notice the word beginning at Jerusalem, right? So we would say it this way. Jerusalem was ground zero for this assignment, for this gospel, for this mission. It all started in Jerusalem, and that is because all of those who knew Christ now have seen him dead and, and risen again, they were there in Jerusalem. They were all gathered here. So it starts right here with that group of people, but that's just the beginning because we've already heard a couple of phrases. They're to go to all nations. They're to go to all the world. This message wasn't to stay here and maybe trickle out. It was to purposely be taken to all nations. In fact, here's how Luke puts it in Acts 1.8. Jesus said this, you will be my witnesses. We read that. And you could say beginning in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, that verse, I think it's, it's quite obvious. There's, there's geography involved there. Some of you are like geography, some of you don't. But look at this diagram. It's very simple what he's talking about. We have Jerusalem, and it starts there. And then it expands to Judea and then to Samaria. So we're talking Judea. It would be kind of like Christian County, maybe Illinois. And then Samaria is like United States. And then the ends of the earth, wherever else people are, right? That makes sense geographically, right? And that, that we, can, we can kind of see that. But there's a lot more going on here than just geography. For, let, me under, let me illustrate. That word that Matthew and uh, that Luke used, the word nations, the word nations is, is the word we would say it ethnos or where we get our word ethnic from. It's talking about races. It's talking about all people groups. 
So what he's saying is you are to go to all people groups, all places, everywhere, to everyone, regardless. God's no respecter of persons. In fact, the message that he's giving us is this is for all nations, for all people. So that's why as you're going about life, whoever you meet fits into the all nations category. It's somebody who Jesus loves and he wants us to share it. In Romans chapter number three, Paul writes it this way, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Notice he said, because Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then he keeps writing and he says, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. He said, we're all in the same level. All of us have sinned. doesn't matter. Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. If we stopped right there, that's bad news. All of us have sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. That's bad news. But He says, and all are justified freely by Christ. All of us can come to God through the cross of Jesus Christ. We can know the difference. It's universal for all. Jesus said this is for all nations, for all people groups. This is the message that God has given us. And it's a a multiplier. That's how God said it. It, The idea is you you have received the gift. So now you tell someone, and then that person tells someone, and you tell someone else, and then all four of us tell someone else, and then the, the 16 of us tell someone else, and you can see how God's work is ingenious. If we will just take what he's given to us, and we share it with somebody else, that's how God's work, that's how he he does this. But there's another side of this momentum that I want to make sure we understand. Because very, very rarely was this idea of sharing the faith meant to be something that was just like a, a one incident experience. It's not like we're Christians hit and run, you know, we just share it and and run off, you know. It's a matter of, he uses a term in Matthew 28, he says, we're to go and make disciples, which is we're to go and, and share the truth, the faith, bring people to understand in repentance of who Jesus is, but discipleship is a process. It's a, it's a lifelong journey of coming along and helping people to know Christ. And grow, they, yes, we, it starts with that repentance. It starts with that forgiveness. It starts with that new birth, but it doesn't stop there. The momentum is then they grow and they learn and then they understand how they have something to share and they share it with someone and then they teach them and they come alongside and it's this process of making disciples. I mean, he uses the word baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The, the, the idea that we're talking about, the Great Commission, it starts with that repentance, but it doesn't stop there. It continues as we grow and as we mature and as we help others to do the same. So it's, it's that momentum of leading people to personal faith in Christ, helping them to grow, leading people to take their next steps is how we talk about it. This is God's way of reaching the world that he's given us. And that's, that's our assignment. Our assignment is to go everywhere, tell everyone Take this message and let God's word just continue to multiply. There, there's one other one that I want to get to, but before I, get, before I do it about this great commission, just a full disclosure here, okay? In my early preacher training, we were taught to use alliteration. You know what alliteration is? It's usually where you use the first letter of, of a word and in, in, in somehow in, the same, in all your points so that people can remember them, okay? I don't do it too often anymore, but it's still ingrained in my head. So as I'm reading through this, if you notice, all three of the first ones had an M word in it. Well, I had to have another M word. I just couldn't. You know, my brain would not let me get past it. So here's my last thought. The Great Commission requires muscle. 
Now, you can put power if you don't like the word muscle, but I kind of like the idea of muscle. Here's, here's seriously what I'm trying to get at. You can't do this in your own strength. This great commission is not something that you can accomplish. And you, it is impossible for us to do what God has called us to do in our own strength. We're going to need a divine source to make this happen. A couple of reasons. One, this is a spiritual work. You and I don't save anybody. I'm not saving someone when I, when I point them to Jesus. God does all the saving. I'm just simply his instrument to share with them the truth. I don't do the saving. Only God can do that. So it's a spiritual work, but I also want you to know there's a spiritual battle involved here. Why you're going to need power is because the enemy doesn't want that gospel to get to somebody else. The enemy's going to do whatever he can to distract you, to discourage you, to make you think, oh, I can't do this, whatever he can, because spiritually, this is what God has called us to do, and he wants to stop it. So we're talking, this is a bigger than us. It's above all of our pay grades to make this happen. So that's why several times in that Great Commission, you heard things like this, Luke 24, 49, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with muscle. You've been clothed with power from on high said the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he says that in several other places, and he's going to clothe you. You're going to have a power that you do not have in your own that comes in, in, in your life because of what Jesus did. Endued, clothed with, and it's all part of a promise. Here's the thing, Christians, you can do this. You can do this with the power of the Holy Spirit, who we know 10 days later after he says these words, we know, uh, or, or close to 10 days later, when he says these words, the Holy Spirit comes on these people, and when he comes on these people, that from that point on, every one of us who's received Christ as Savior, we then have that Holy Spirit power to be able to do what he's called us to do. You can do this. He has equipped you, and now he has sent you, and it's a matter of doing what he sent you to do. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and they did. So here, I, I can hear some of you saying, oh, I couldn't do that. I'm no good at this. I don't have all the answers. What if I don't say it right? What if they ask me a question I can't answer? What if I, I don't know how to explain it? Here's the good news. It's not your ability that's going to save them. It's not your great words. It's not you having all the, the right ways to put it. It's you doing what, the, what God has called you to do in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he will accomplish what he wants to do. There's another word that goes along with this that says power in some translations. In Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus said, all authority, that's another word for power, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So along this process, you're talking to someone and whatever, talking spiritually, and they go, well, who are you to tell me I'm a sinner? Who are you to tell me that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Who are you to say any of this? Who are you to be able to speak this to me? And that's where you can stop and say, it's not me. I have nothing. I'm not, nothing to give, but the one who sent me, he has all the authority, and this is what he said. Based on what he said, this is what you need. This is what he wants you to have. This is what he needs. I'm speaking for him. I'm his ambassador. I'm just speaking in his authority. In fact, the end of that verse uh, says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says, you do this. You're never going to be alone. That's what it means. He'll always be with you. But that also means that whenever you speak and you speak Jesus' truth, you're speaking with his authority. You're speaking with his power. You're speaking with his muscle behind you because that's what he said. 
needs to be done. So you can't do this, Christians. God has called us on assignment. You can do this. So earlier we had Jaden give us this illustration. Let's make it a little more personal. Let's make it a conversation. You're sitting with a friend, and we all know Callie needs it, right? Okay, so she's sitting with her friend Callie, and she's, let's see how this works kind of in, in real life. Watch this for a moment. So, Jaden, I've been coming to church with you for a while. I've heard what Josh says. I hear what Pastor says. But I still don't really understand what, I, like, what that means for me. Can you explain it to me some more? Absolutely. Well, one thing you really have to remember is that you're never going to be able to get to God by yourself. I'll show you a good illustration of it. So we are here, and God is here. So there's nothing we can do to get over there. As Romans 30.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short against the glory of God. So everything Me? we do. Yes, oh. including you. Including Pastor, including Josh, everybody sinned. Um, but there's only one thing that can get you across that bridge across that gap, and that would be a bridge, which that's what Christ gave for us. First um, Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for the sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. So he created a bridge across, which was the cross that he died on, to bring you closer to God. Okay. So what you have to do to get to him is you have to receive God. John 1.12 says, Yet all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So when you admit your sins and you accept God into your heart, you can get across the bridge. Okay. Well, like, I understand that. So, like, how, what do I need to do next? Like, what, what can I do? Yeah. One really good thing that I was taught is to remember your ABCs. Okay. A, I know those. Yeah. They're really easy to remember. <laughs> okay. A is admit. So admit that you are a sinner and admit that you have sinned and that you have fallen short against the glory of God. And then B is believe. So believe in Christ and believe that he died for your sins and that he rose again three days later to give you eternal life. And then C, confess. Confess your life over to him. Confess that you are a sinner and that you, that you need him to become holy. Okay. I, I do admit that I'm a sinner. I mean, I know what I've done in my life. Um, and I do believe that, that Jesus did do this for us. I've seen that in your life and in others' lives. And I, th I think I'm ready to go ahead and confess my sins. Okay, let's pray about that. And that, my friends, is our freedom assignment. That's the work of Easter. That's the privilege that you have as a believer to bring someone to recognizing their need of Jesus and receiving him as Savior. That's what God has called us. That's our assignment. That's the work that he's given to us. We know in Romans, just to remind you what we've talked about, Romans chapter 8, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has, has set you free from the law of sin and death. And Jesus had said, if the Son sets you free, you will be what? Free indeed. There's this freedom available, but here's the point. If you have received that freedom, if you know Christ is your Savior, now, you're on assignment to take that message and share it with someone else. The, the point is, we've given you a tool today that you can do that very thing. You can take what God has said to you, and you can share that with someone to lead them to the point. Again, it's God that does the saving, but he gives you the opportunity to be the person that leads them to him. But here's my question. Is it possible 
that we've missed our assignment. That we get so busy and stuff, wrapped up, even some of them are good things, that as we're going about life, we're not even thinking about the fact that I'm going on assignment. I should be going intentionally to do whatever I can to point someone to Jesus. I read this on a preacher's desk once, and there's actually a song that kind of summarizes it. But here's a thought for all of us as believers to remember. I'm just a nobody telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. We, it's nothing we do, but we have the privilege of being the person that God uses to bring others to salvation. Are we living on assignment? Here's what we've learned today. We've got the message. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's changed our lives. We've got the muscle. We've got the power of the Holy Spirit who's come into our lives. So it's time for us to move, to do something about it to open our mouths, and even this week to even just partially share, take a, a little bit of what, it, it, maybe the person just a piece at a time, but take a little time and a purposely do what you can to point someone to Jesus. Here's what I know today. You have heard a clear presentation at least twice now of what it means and how to follow Jesus. If you're watching online or you're here in this room and you've not yet received his, that, that gift of salvation. You've not yet stepped across that line. Maybe you have questions, or, but it's been very clear today that you're a sinner who needs a Savior, and Jesus died to make that possible. Today, knowing that, would you receive his gift? Would you, from your heart, call out to him and say, God, I admit that I am a sinner. I, I believe that you died for my sins, and now I confess my sin and ask you to save me. Would, would you be willing to do that today and receive that gift? Would you bow your heads with me, please? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. The question, the thoughts have been very clear. You can know Jesus, and he, he made it very clear what that looks like. Have you done that? Have you admitted your need, believed in him, and confessed to receive his salvation? Have you done that today? If not, would you, in this moment, do that? Call out to Jesus and say, God, I'm a sinner. I know that. I believe you died for me. Please save me. I forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and I'll follow you as my Lord. Would you do that today? If you've already started that journey, you've stepped across that line, then my question is for us as believers, are we living on the assignment that God has given us? Are we living on purpose, intentionally going about our life whether that's here or down the street or wherever God takes us, but going intentionally, how can I point people to Jesus today, this part of my life? Maybe that just needs to be our prayer. God, help me to get back on assignment and just to see how important it is that I do what you've called me to do. Maybe God's already got a name in your mind that you're thinking of, someone who would be the first one that you should talk to or you're already talking to, and, and you can share it. Take this tool that we've given you and talk to them about it or, or pray about how God will use you to bring them to him. It, it's, you're on assignment, Christian. It's now believing that God would use you to help bring someone else to Jesus. Let me pray for us today. Father, I thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you for repeating that great commission 
five different times so that we know, hey, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Help us to live on that assignment, to be motivated by your love and by motivated by our compassion for others to want to share that message. But God, help us to share it, to do whatever we can to bring others to Jesus. Please stir in my heart and in the heart of every believer here to do what you've called us to do. And God, I ask you, if there's one person listening today in this room or watching online that has not yet received that gift of salvation, please draw them to yourself. Let this be the day that they call out to you for the salvation that you purchased on the cross for them. Please, God, draw us today. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Continue in this time of prayer. Maybe you still have questions. You you need some answers about that. I would love to speak to you. Or maybe today you, you have prayed or you're praying even though I'm speaking to receive Jesus. Let me encourage you to tell someone, maybe the person that brought you or the person you're here with, or, or put it on your card and, and let me follow up. I'd love to pray with you as well. Just if this has been your decision, let's share it with someone so we can help you take your next step. And then Christians, in these next few minutes, let's just say, God, help me to live on assignment this week even this afternoon to do something to share my faith with someone. I'll give you a moment to spend some time with the Lord in prayer today.